Please remain standing and grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. We are finishing up this little letter of Paul's this evening. Hear now God's holy word. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that most of us have multiple copies and multiple translations. Uh, What a blessing that so many throughout church history wouldn't have been able to fathom. Father, we thank you for it. And we pray now as we hear it preached to us, Lord, that you would grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would cause us to be able to understand it. Father, we pray that you would grow us in wisdom, in insight, in understanding, and Father, that you would also grow us in humility and love and obedience. We pray it all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, this evening we're wrapping up and finishing the letter that we began walking through a little bit over a year ago. It's been 13 months. This is now the 25th and final sermon in the series. And, and I truly do, I pray that you each have seen the supremacy and the excellence of Christ Jesus as we've walked through this little letter. That, that's Paul's main point. In everything else that he has given us, that is what he has offered to us. The supremacy of Christ. I pray that you have grown in your love of that supremacy. I pray that you have grown in your knowledge of it. And I pray that each of us have grown in our obedience to it. 
If you get nothing else from this letter, Christ is supreme over everything, over everyone, always and forever. Christ is supreme. Now at first glance, this is one of those passages that you might be thinking, couldn't we have just skipped that? Uh, This is kind of these final greetings are usually put, I think, in our minds in the same categories as uh, the um, list of names and genealogies in the Old Testament. Like, we don't want to say out loud to another Christian, let alone in church, that we just skip over those. But, but if we're being perfectly honest, how, how often do you skip over those? Or, or, or at the very least, as you're reading through them, you're taking your time, and then you get to those genealogies or these lists, and you kind of speed read through it real fast. Because that's kind of, I think, our thought a lot of times is, what really is there to get from some final greetings? Isn't this just Paul basically signing off his name? But I think, and I would offer to you this evening, that that would be a mistake to think like that. uh, About any of these sorts of passages in God's Word, but especially about this one tonight. Uh, This passage in particular is one of the richest in all of Paul's letters. In fact, this final greeting section in Colossians is second only to the one we find in the book of Romans. Only the book of Romans contains a longer and more full list of greetings and encouragements and recommendations of brothers and sisters to a church. And so you might be thinking, you know, what could we learn from this? Uh, But actually, uh, we actually won't be able to get to everything here that I would have liked to have been able to get to this evening. Uh, I I debated whether or not, I mean, on some of these names with just a little bit that's given, you could spend entire sermons addressing some of these brothers and and what Paul mentions about them. And so far from not having anything to talk about, we're going to have many things that we don't have time to cover tonight. What Paul is doing here is he is providing real life examples. He's putting some flesh on the bones, so to speak, of the doctrine he's given us. He's told us the principles all the way throughout this little letter, and now he's demonstrating them. He's modeling them for us in these men that he's commending to this church. And so here we're going to see some of the lessons he's been teaching throughout this letter lived out, put into practice. And so let us observe then in our text the importance and examples of, I'm going to warn you, I broke the cardinal rule of Presbyterian preaching. There is not three points tonight, there's only two. Faithfulness and fellowship. Faithfulness and fellowship. That's what we're going to observe this evening. Throughout all of these names, we're we're, we're receiving the importance and the examples of faithfulness and fellowship, especially in ministry, but also in general in the Christian's life. Faithfulness and fellowship. And so in the first place, let us observe the importance of fellowship through these examples. Tychicus is the first name that we come across. Put that on on your short list of baby names. Uh, We love Bible names. I've personally never heard someone pull out Tychicus. Uh, But he's the first name we come across in this list of Paul's. And honestly, we really don't know that much about Tychicus. We don't know that much about him. What we have here is more than we get anywhere else, really. We read that he is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. We read that he has been sent by Paul. And so clearly, I think it's someone that Paul trusts. It's someone that Paul honors. It's someone that Paul loves. 
And just for a moment, imagine the great Apostle Paul referring to you in these terms. Can you imagine? Paul speaking of you, calling you a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. We first encounter Tychicus in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, where he's listed amongst a, a pretty massive list of names of fellows who are essentially co-missionaries with Paul on one of his trips. We find his name listed again here, and again in Ephesians 6, 21, in 2 Timothy 4.12, and in Titus 3.12. And in all of those lists, we, we basically only learn one thing about Tychicus. That he seems to be Paul's most trusted mailman. That's essentially is what Tychicus' ministry was. He was an apostolic mailman. He is one of the most frequently sent out men to the churches carrying the letters of Paul. And it's not really a big public ministry he has then. That's not a, a real flashy work or ministry that has been given to Tychicus. It's not flashy. It's not impressive. It's not going to wow anyone. You know, who's going to put mailman on his resume applying to a church? But that's the work that was given to Tychicus. He isn't someone who has a following He's not a brother who fills up arenas or who's amazing people with his oratory abilities. In fact, if you really think about it, he's kind of in the background, is he not? Tychicus isn't the main character here. And yes, we'd say, well, Jesus is the main character. But even in comparison to Paul, whose name are you going to remember in this letter? Probably not Tychicus. His ministry is one where he is playing the supporting role. But I think we can learn something here that that's okay. If you think about it, it was because of Tychicus' faithfulness to the ministry that he received from the Lord. It's because of his faithfulness in this simple, ordinary, maybe boring, non-flashy work that Paul's letters reached the churches. So if it were not for Tychicus's simple, behind-the-scenes, faithful ministry, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that we might not have a lot of the New Testament that we have. God used this behind-the-scenes man to get the Word of God out. His work of ministry was simple, but it was vital. Vital. I think likewise, brothers and sisters, we, we can... Discern from this that the Lord may have called you. That he may have called you to a work where you play the supporting role. To a work that is simple. One that isn't flashy. One where you won't be the one that stands out as amazing to others. Maybe to a work that goes unnoticed by the vast majority. Yet that does not mean that it is any less important or vital to the kingdom of Christ. In whatever work the Lord has called you to, be faithful to the task entrusted to you. Fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. And this isn't just an encouragement or or a challenge or a word or a reminder for those in pastoral ministry. Remember Ephesians 4, Christ gave pastors to do what? To build up and equip the saints, the church, for the work of ministry. That's y'all. The work of ministry, the work of furthering the kingdom of Christ is not just a work resting upon the shoulders of ordained ministers. 
to those called to pastoral ministry, but rather it is a co-labor. It is a co-labor in which every member of the body being faithful to the task entrusted to them is necessary. In fact, if you consider many of the names on this list, you'll find that more of them have more in common with Tychicus than with Paul. Look through that list and tell me with a straight face that you remember or recognize most of those names right off the bat. I wouldn't believe you. They are faithful brothers and ministers and servants commended and recommended by Paul. But they are otherwise obscure, unknown, and behind the scenes. Consider Epaphras with me. Look with me at verses 12 through 13. We read there that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. This isn't the first time that we've been introduced to Epaphras in this letter. We were first introduced to him all the way back in chapter 1, verse 7, where he gets the same introduction as Tychicus, that he is a faithful minister of Christ. And we're told there that it was from Epaphras that the Colossian Christians first heard and understood and learned the grace of God and truth, a.k.a. the gospel. And here we're told that it was Epaphras who was working hard for them, laboring for them, praying for them. And so Epaphras seems really to be their first pastor, what, what we might call their church planner of the church in Colossae. And so what makes Epaphras one that Paul could say of him that he is a faithful minister of Christ? Surely if Paul said that of him, we find some example of his amazing preaching abilities in this letter. No. Paul tells us in verse 12 that he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. John Calvin said of this little prayer of Epaphras, this is a good pastor's prayer. This is a good pastor's prayer. And I personally find it astounding that even though Epaphras had preached to them and taught them, and clearly I think he had great evangelistic success among the saints there. This is one of the few churches that Paul writes to where he has no critiques. <laughs> there, there's nowhere where he's getting on to them or they're getting in trouble. Clearly, Epaphras had great pastoral evangelistic success here. So I'm amazed that in, in the midst of all of that, that what Paul remarks on is not his oratory abilities or his preaching prowess, but rather his prayerfulness. This is, in Paul's mind, what makes him a faithful minister. Not his preaching abilities, but his faithful prayer. And I think this should be a strong reminder to each of us, brothers and sisters, that if we are to be found faithful, let us be found praying. If we are to be found faithful, let us be found praying. Let's notice here, then, both the manner and the matter of Epaphras' prayer. We read concerning the manner that he is always struggling on their behalf in his prayers. Always struggling. 
This can also be translated that he labored fervently for them in his prayers. He labored for them in prayer. He labored fervently. He labored fervently for them always. Notice the diligence. Notice the hard work going into this prayer. How often have we heard something along the lines of, well, I can't do much, but I can pray. This is erroneous thinking. His hard work was his prayer. His faithful ministry that he is being commended for here was his prayer. Notice his diligence. Notice his consistency. Notice his intensity. He is wrestling for this church in his prayers. Struggling for them. It gives you a picture that he, he gets done sometimes and gets up off his knees and he's sweating. He is deeply burdened for these believers in his time of prayer. In fact, the Greek word here is the same word from which we get our English word agony. He is so deeply burdened for this church in his prayer life that his soul is in agony for them. This isn't something he's just doing in passing. Well, sure, brother, I'll pray for that. Sister, sure, I'll pray for you. And then if we're lucky, we, 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 we throw a quick one in at the end of the day where we're not lying. That's not what Epaphras is doing here. He is laboring for them in his prayer. He is in agony for them in his prayer. Notice the intensity. And so, brothers and sisters, I think there's a question that we could have for ourselves here. When is the last time that you prayed for someone like that? When is the last time that you prayed for the conversion of a lost person you know like that? With that intensity, struggling, fighting, laboring fervently always for them. When is the last time you prayed for your church here at New Covenant like that? Not just a passing prayer, not just to check off a box. When is the last time you prayed for this church, for New Covenant Presbyterian Church like that? When's the last time you prayed for your ministers and your session and your diaconate like that? When's the last time you prayed for your presbytery like that? We need it. Are you doing it so consistently that it could be said that you were doing it always? As was the case here with our brother Epaphras. So that's his manner. Let's notice secondly then the matter of his prayers. We read that he's praying that they may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Notice then that Epaphras is not just concerning himself with numbers. His major concern is not filling up the sanctuary at Colossae. He's not just praying for decisions for Christ, but for disciples of Christ. He's not concerned with only quantitative growth, but with qualitative. He's concerning himself in his prayers for disciples who will grow in maturity who will grow up into full assurance in their faith. And we should pray likewise. Not just praying for mere conversions or for the seats to be filled up, but for disciples who grow up into maturity and the full assurance of their faith. Epaphras is a faithful minister. In large part, Paul seems to note here, because of his prayers. Do we have that right frame of mind when we think about what makes a faithful minister versus an unfaithful minister? Do we, do we think like this? To know and recognize that a faithful minister is the one who is laboring and working in his prayers for the church that has been entrusted to him. If you were to turn over to Acts 6, you'll find this isn't new to Paul here. 
In Acts 6, you'll find the apostles at the very beginning of those churches saying that we will devote ourselves to what? To prayer and to the ministry of the word. To prayer. What's the job description of a minister? There you go. Prayer and the ministry of the word and everything else, you need to make sure it flows under that. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word are the most important things in faithful ministry. Period. They are what makes a faithful ministry. And I think we should notice the order because I think the order is important. The order is important. Prayer, then the ministry of the word. Prayer, then the ministry of the word. Faithful ministry of the word requires consistent prayerfulness. It does. Faithful ministry of the word requires consistent prayerfulness. And I would just commend to you, brothers and sisters, this isn't directly applicable to most. Most of you sitting here are not in a preaching ministry. But you do have labors that the Lord has given to you for the building up of His church. In the midst of your filling out of calendars and emails and phone calls in the midst of your good conversations and the physical works you're doing with your hands and your mouth and your feet for the Christ church, are you coding every step of the way in consistent prayerfulness? It's necessary. It comes first. In addition to his prayerfulness, notice too that Paul says he has worked hard for the church. He has worked hard for the church. Now I think chiefly here Paul is saying that he has worked hard in his prayerfulness. What other reason would would it be that Paul gives these descriptors that he did of his prayers? That he's wrestling, struggling, fighting. I think that's the main way that Paul is noting that he's working hard. But I think we should also note that faithfulness in ministry demands, in addition to lots of prayer, lots of hard work. And likewise, brothers and sisters, faithfulness in your Christian walks demands lots of prayer and hard work. Sometimes, us being good Presbyterians and good Calvinists, we, we, we love that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And praise be to God, we talked about a lot of that this morning, didn't we? God's choice, God's sovereignty, saved by grace alone through faith alone. But as Luther said, it's not by a faith which remains alone. You who have been saved by grace should now walk in works. But we don't get saved by God and just sit down and say, well, what, what will happen will happen. We should work hard. We should work hard. Lots of prayer. Lots of hard work. Part of that hard work is simply in making it to the finish line, I think. I want you to notice two people in this list, and we're going to contrast them. Archippus and Demas. To Archippus, we find Paul saying in verse 17, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. In fact... Interestingly enough, Paul is commending to the church at Colossae that they would remind him of this. That they would remind their minister, hey, be faithful. Make sure you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And I think we learn here a couple of things. We learn here that the ministry we have received from the Lord, no matter how simple, no matter how obscure, no matter how behind the scenes, that it is an honor. That it is an honor. Uh, Whether it be that you have received a ministry akin to the Apostle Paul, that you are filling up arenas, that you've garnered a following, whether it be that sort of ministry or whether it be the type of ministry 
that of a mother and a wife who rarely gets recognition, who rarely gets praise, but who faithfully for decades raises her children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Wherever you find yourself, whatever ministry the Lord has given you in the building up of His church and the furthering of His kingdom, we learn here that it is an honor. Why? Because we have received it from the Lord. It is given to us by His sovereign and gracious appointment, regardless of what it is, regardless of where it is. But we also learn here that those who receive it, no matter how simple, no matter how obscure, no matter how behind the scenes, you must fulfill it. You must fulfill it. You must see that work to the end. So notice Archippus. But also notice Demas in verse 14. Here in our text at hand, he's being commended just like everyone else. He's one of the good guys here in this list. But if you were to keep your finger here and flip on over to 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. A letter written after this. We are told by Paul that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. The faithfulness of Tychicus, Epaphras, Archippus, and these other brothers on this list are starkly contrasted by the faithlessness and fraud of Demas that we later discover in 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas is one who had made a profession of faith, one who had even made a name for himself among the churches in his day. People knew of Demas. And yet because of his love for the present world, Paul tells us, he deserted Paul, and it seems likely maybe Christ as well. Brothers and sisters, I think this should be a warning to us to remember the words given to Archippus, that we would pray and strive to see that we fulfill the ministry that we have received from the Lord. This is a warning to us and a caution that we should get down on our knees and wrestle and struggle in prayer. Yes, for the souls of others. Yes, for the souls of others. But also for your own. Let us pray always that we would be found faithful. Let us pray for that strength of God's Holy Spirit. That, that He would come in and help us to work hard for His kingdom. And that even if the ministry we have been given is one of obscurity and simplicity and no recognition, that we would fulfill the ministry that we have received. And so then we see in our first point the importance and example of faithfulness. But let us notice lastly in our second point the importance and examples of fellowship. Of fellowship. I want you to notice just simply here, we're going to go through these a little bit rapid fire, the way that the Apostle Paul refers to these brothers. Fellow servants, fellow prisoners, fellow workers. Think about this. Paul, the man who is basically responsible for most of our New Testament, the apostle of apostles, he is willing to share his ministry with others. He is willing to acknowledge others who are working for the kingdom. This is a brother who has undeniably been extremely gifted. And yet one who is in no way, shape, or form sees himself as the end-all, be-all of ministry. Notice how much he shows his appreciation for these brothers. In verse 7, he speaks of Tychicus as his beloved brother, as his faithful servant, as his fellow slave. 
Man, what terms of endearment? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul talking about you like this? Maybe in our day, what, I, as I was talking with Carly about this passage earlier in the week, I was thinking, you know what? Paul, forget Paul. I can't even imagine someone like R.C. Sproul. If I had somehow gotten to know R.C. Sproul while he was still on this earth walking with us, how blown away would you be to hear from someone else that R.C. Sproul talked about you like this? Don't lie. You would be incredibly encouraged. You would be incredibly encouraged. You'd write it down where you wouldn't forget it. And this is the Apostle Paul talking about these brothers. In verse 12 and 13, he says of Epaphras that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. That he is a faithful laborer. In verse 14, he says that Luke is a beloved physician. I love how he just kind of throws that out about Luke. Uh, it's interesting, right? He doesn't say anything about Luke. Not that he wrote the Gospel of Luke or Acts. Just that he's, he's my favorite doctor. <laughs> but he includes him and he encourages him. And notice in verses 10 through 11 that he says of Mark and of Justice that they are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Man, the Apostle Paul saying that these other obscure brothers have been a, a comfort to him? You know, they had to have read that and said, no, Paul, you've been a comfort to us. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how gifted you are or how important you think you are, you need the church and the fellowship and the encouragement and the comfort and the help that they provide. There is comfort in the community of the church. This is why the author of Hebrews tells us and commands us, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves. If the apostle Paul needed the comfort of these brothers, certainly we do. And this is true regardless of your station in life. Notice Onesimus. Notice that he's here on this list. He's the one who had been a slave to Philemon that we read of in the letter of the same name. And though he was a slave, he is now a member and possibly even from what we read here, a minister in the church. The Apostle Paul refers to this runaway slave as our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He counts Onesimus, the runaway slave, among their number. He's a runaway slave. It doesn't get much lower in station of life than that. And yet Paul sends him back to his congregation and says, He's one of you and my beloved brother. What implications does this have for the fellowship of the body of Christ? Well, Matthew Henry says this, that the meanest circumstances of life and greatest wickedness of former life make no difference in the spiritual relation among sincere Christians. They partake of the same privileges and are entitled to the same regards. Notice Onesimus, but notice also that Paul mentions Mark. Paul mentions Mark. This is the same Mark who wrote the gospel. And this is the same Mark, I think a little bit more importantly here, that ditched Paul. Interesting. Paul in Acts 15.38, we, we read uh, that Paul wouldn't take Mark with him. Why? Well, why did he instead choose to bring Silas? Because Mark had ditched them. Mark had deserted them. Mark left them out to dry. And yet despite the betrayal of Mark, Paul has now not only reconciled with him, but we find him recommending Mark to the church at Colossae. 
What a beautiful picture of reconciliation amongst the body of Christ. What implication does this have for the fellowship of the church? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we must have a forgiving spirit to our spiritual siblings. We must have a forgiving spirit to our spiritual siblings. Is not the end goal of even church discipline and even excommunication restoration? Spoiler alert, it is. That's the whole point. That's the whole goal. That's what you're praying for the whole time is restoration. Remember what Jesus said, brothers and sisters, that they out there, that they will know that we are his disciples, not by our love of doctrine and theology, but by our love that we have for one another. Let's love our brothers and sisters in Christ well. Let's forgive them well. And so, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how gifted you are or how important you think you are, or what your station in life is, or what your failures and shortcomings have been or are. You need the church and the fellowship and the encouragement and the comfort that the church provides. There is comfort in the community of the church. So what do you do with that? Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves. Wherever you are, Even if it takes a long drive, as some of these brothers and sisters are quite familiar with, it is worth that 45-minute hour drive to be with a faithful body of Christ, where the Word is faithfully preached, where fellowship is happening, where you are loved and comforted well. It's not an option. In fact, in Hebrews, in that same passage where we find that commandment, we're given the reason why he tells us to not neglect the assembling of ourselves. Do you remember As you see the days growing more and more evil, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves. As it gets worse out there, you need what's in here more and more and more. Not just faithful preaching, but faithful, loving fellowship and comfort amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we see the importance of and examples of both faithfulness and fellowship in our ministries and lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that it would be an encouragement and a challenge to us, and that you would help us to remember it, recall it, share it, and obey it as we go throughout our lives this week. We pray it in Christ's name, for his glory. Amen.